As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome into season preview week. Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. I, I'm a full cup of coffee down, and I've got the adrenaline of, of the opener running through my veins. I'm going to try not to talk too fast or get too excited, Jay. But when we go through an offseason and a preseason of talking about stuff that's all kind of made up, I get a little extra excited when it's actually football week. Silly season is what Marvin called it, and it, it really is. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cup ahead of you on the coffee, so I'm, I'm ready to. I'm excited. Yeah, we've got uh, Bengals-Vikings Sunday, which is already exciting enough. But Thursday, we have our special live event at 50 West Brewing Company. We are, we are back at 50 West. Myself, Jay, Mo Egger, Optimistic Bobby, of course, hosting us, and we'll have plenty of things to say, as I'm sure he always does. Uh, and a myriad other guests might run through. I'm not going to spoil it, but just know that there'll be others there. Um, and it's going to be, we're going to preview the season. We will do off-the-record questions from you guys afterwards for those that come down. Uh, have drinks with us. If you are a previous Growler winner, come down and collect your winnings. It's good growl time or send a messenger with your name. And uh, also, if you are not a subscriber but have wanted to, this will be your chance to win a free subscription to The Athletic. We're giving one away while we're down there. Uh, so if you come down to 50 West, have a couple of beers, I think we're going to do some uh, really wild hear that podcast growl and trivia for you. And you know, Jay loves putting together some trivia. So oh, yeah. uh, we'll have that to give away a free subscription for anybody that doesn't have one. Or you know what? We could probably package a renewal in there if, we, sure. if you're a subscriber and you come down because we love, we love our subscribers. So that is Thursday, 7 o'clock, 50 West Brewing Company. We'll run you right up until the kickoff of Bucks and Cowboys. This will be a beautiful night. They'll have the big screens going. 
The beer garden will be flowing. We'll be hanging out, drinking beers, watching some of the game. I am excited about Thursday, which I am having a hard time hiding. Yeah, I can't wait. I've never done one of these live ones. I'm anxious to see people that uh, listen to the show. We only kind of know them by their Twitter avatars. It'll it'll be great to see some people in person. Um, maybe get out and sub a game of sand volleyball while <laughs> everybody else. Try not yeah. to hurt myself since I do play on Fridays. Anyhow, two nights in a row might be too much to ask. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and and we will have a good trivia question that no one will be able to Google to find the answer to. That's right. It'll be uh, closest. Prices right, prices right rules on it, probably, right, Jay? I mean, yeah. We're probably yeah, going to have to go with the prices right rule situation because you're going to make it that hard because you just, you get all, like, it's just, you just love it. You just, <laughs> you love making people have to guess uh, something that they cannot guess. Um, so we'll have that is going to be going on. So come get a, a free sub or renewal if you come down to the show at 50 West. We will see you there on Thursday and, uh, you know, cheers you for certain. Um, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to talk a little bit about Bengals Vikings because I spoke with our guy in Minnesota, Chad Graff, who does an awesome job covering the Vikings. And the Vikings and Bengals have an insane amount of connections that uh, two teams that rarely play each other and are in cross divisions uh, conferences shouldn't have, but they do. And so we talk a lot about that. Um, and we've got some news. We're going to talk about season predictions. We're, we're going to get into the story that I have up now on The Athletic Now, which is the full prediction of the season, game by game, statistical predictions, which are really important with this team as we kind of look at how it's going to unfold. And we're going to talk about what the most important numbers are, some run, pass, or boots in there. When we start talking about numbers, you know Jay's got some stats. So we're going to get to all of that coming up here. Um, let's Let's start here. Uh, let's run through some news and get into season predictions. News, no Trey Waynes on Sunday. His hamstring, uh, we, we figured this would be the case, kind of got the confirmation from Zach Taylor on Monday. Uh, he will not play against the Vikings, but did not go on IR, which would have kept him out the first three weeks. So that means the expectation, or at least hope, is that Trey Waynes will be back either in week two or week three. Um, or else they would have put him on IR and just hope to get him back in week four against the Jaguars because you have to be on IR a minimum of three weeks and save the roster spot. They didn't, so obviously there's a hope that his hamstring will be better, but it's hard to tell. They were not really going to give out any timelines on hamstrings because those things are really just hard to predict, but obviously the move that they made suggests maybe he'll be back in the next couple of weeks. Eli Apple, as we uh, all knew after the last preseason game, uh, will be the starter uh, in his place with Darius Phillips seeing some snaps as well, probably. Um, captains were named, which most times people roll their eyes, but you know, this coaching staff, captains are a big deal. Uh, players vote on these for who they want their captains to be. Defensive captains, Sam Hubbard, Von Bell, Jesse Bates. Offensive captains, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, Joe Burrow, and Kevin Huber on special teams. Seven captains. Uh, any thoughts on the captain's picks, Jay? The Mixon one kind of surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Never been a I captain mean, before. Never been a captain before. Neither Sam Hubbard, which is surprising. Um but yeah, you you saw that coming with Sam. It, it, I actually I thought he had a shot last year, and they they put it on Von Bell in his first year with the franchise, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, but yeah, I, I mean Mixon is that he is that important to this team, and he is that infectious guy, and so he he does show a lot of leadership 
abilities, but it just it still kind of surprised me that that they picked him. Although you look at this roster, and he's he is now one of the oldest guys on oh, yeah. this roster. So that for, from that standpoint, maybe it makes a little more sense. But um, I, I just thought maybe a guy like Riley Reef. We saw the precedent last year where a new guy comes in with a lot of skins on the wall, like Von Bell did. Um, I thought maybe Riley Reef might have been that guy that got it, but. Um, yeah, it's Joe and it, Joe and Joe. No surprise with Burrow; he got it last year in his first year. Every everything else really kind of made sense. Um, even Huber's been around forever, and you know you don't think of punters as being captains very often, but really on special teams, there's no one else to pick there. Your kicker's a, a a rookie. Your long snapper is a long snapper. You know, last year they had Geo as a special teams captain. He's gone. Huber was really the only choice there on special teams. All your captains, except for Huber, you know, 26 or younger. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, this was, and we write it, I wrote about this in season predictions as a, in a, as a small snippet of this team. This makeup is what Zach Taylor always wanted. He wanted his leader. He wanted a young team. He wanted the leaders to be in their mid-20s, not to be in their 30s, the people that you rely on. I don't know if that's the best strategy. (laughs) You know, how many times over the years do you hear players talk about how great it was to have – last year, Josh Bynes, the effect he had on those young linebackers. Sam Hubbard talking about how Michael Johnson meant everything to him when he was young. And and showed him how to be a pro and to do all that. Guys that have been the Riley Reefs of the world. This team is devoid of those. And their leadership is not those. And I have no problem having a young team. And I don't have a problem having this young leadership. I'm very curious to see how that plays out. But, you know, you usually, a lot of teams love to have the makeup with one old guy in the room. Even if he doesn't play a lot. <clears throat> But one old head in the room who is the one who shows everybody the way, who's been around, who knows how it works, and can kind of be that one that they look up to, their sensei, right, in, in, in every position group. These guys are the old guys in the room. Sam Hubbard, Joe Mixon. I mean, he's, that's, that's a big <laughs> difference now in that they're, they're, the leadership is so young. So it's, I'll be curious to see how that plays out. I do think – I mean, these are – they're good leaders to have. I mean, Burrow, Hubbard, Bell, all these guys. I mean, really, they come with kind of made to do this. Um, but I do I do find that aspect of the roster construction to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's a great idea if you're planning for the long haul. And Zach doesn't – I mean, Zach may be here for the long haul, but he doesn't have that luxury of knowing that right now. So it is – it is uh, – a substantial risk to to put all your eggs in that youth basket but again with riley reef he just we're not in the locker room so we don't see how he interacts but you just kind of get the sense from when we do talk to him in press conference he's not that that vocal guy like like josh Bynes was like josh like von bell was last year he's he's on the quieter side the respect is there and the the number of games he's played in this league but it, it does kind of make sense that if you're going to come in and be first year with the franchise, be that veteran leader. You need to have a little bit more wit to your personality, and maybe that's why Riley Reef didn't get it. And who knows? We don't we don't see the ballots. We don't know how close these things were. Um, but but yeah, it's 
that that's a great stat, the 26 and the younger, because I, I would venture to guess there's not too many teams around the league that have a, a leadership group like that. No. I mean, you know, you'd have to really pile through. But, I mean, it kind of set the precedent last year when Burrow was one of the first, mm. you know, rookie captains we'd ever seen, um, not just here but across the league. And uh, But that's that's who they are. That's, that's who they are now. That's who they want to be. They want to build around this group going forward. Um, notable that all except – well, I guess I'm, I'm kind of taking Huber out of the mix here as a special teams yeah. guy. All your offense and defense under contract – uh, for the long haul outside of Jesse Bates as we wait on that to see if that gets done this week or if it does officially spill over into next offseason. Um, so that's that's where that stands. Now we enter the opener. Uh, go. We have our deal 50% off subscription going on right now if you want to go and read. Uh, Jay has a story up on Jamar Chase addressing his drops. Um, we got that. He talked to us on Monday. First time he's spoken, been available to the press since uh, his drop started way back uh, at the game in Washington. So you get a little bit more into that. Jay has a story on everything he had to say. I have my prediction story up now. You can either one of those links go to and you can get 50% off a subscription. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to start here, Jay. Here's my question, and it's easy. No, it's not easy, but it's simple for me to ask. Define success. Whew, that is a tough one. I mean, obviously, there has to be substantial progress. What, what do you What do you consider substantial? I mean, is seven and ten? You almost double your win total from last year. Um, would that be considered success? I mean, I, I think if this team is playing meaningful games, and, this, and so that kind of takes the the final record out of it, is if they go into December still in a realistic hunt for a playoff spot, you know, even if you, you look at how tough that December ske- schedule is and if, if they lose some close games against good teams and, and finish in the 7-10 range, I think you feel a whole lot better about it. Than if you go into December with three or four wins and you you happen to win two or three games to dress up the record a little bit, that's totally different. I just I if you're going to measure success, you need to see an ascension from from September 12th to January 9th, from week one to week 17. You need to see the team getting better as it goes. I I, I wouldn't get too tied up in in the final record, although nine and eight is a automatic that's that's success if if they finish above 500 then it doesn't matter how they got there that is success but 
I don't expect them to be above 500. So that's how I would measure it. It's just, are they getting better as the season goes on? The way this sets up is <laughs> it's just fascinating because you have so many of these easier games on the front end of the schedule that are really going to be defining. I, I in some, I feel like we always we're always making more of that week's game of how much it means in the big picture, right? Like it's like we do this every year, every week. But I'm going to really do it again, and I think I think it stands out more this year than ever. This first month, this first six games. Mm-hmm when you throw in Detroit on October 17th are organizational turning points. I mean, this is it. These are not teams that expected to win. Go, go through uh power rankings on our site, go through rankings by executives, you know, all these things. Who are these teams? The teams at the bottom with the Bengals, a lot of times, and most of these are in their vicinity in the bottom half, Minnesota, Chicago, Jacksonville, Detroit. That's four of the first six. Throw in an at Pittsburgh, which always means more. And, you know, in an at Pittsburgh, who people keep talking about how they're down and you just beat them on Monday Night Football last year. That is a absolutely for a team and a coaching staff in year three that has been selling. Just let me get to year three. Give me my roster. Give me my quarterback. Give me my team. What do they look like after six games? Six games against teams that are on the bottom half, you know, four of them on the bottom half of the league. One of them a division rival who's the the probably has the lowest aspirations beside yourself. I mean, that is significant. And then so you so you take that part, right? And then you said, Jay, what do you look like at the end of the season? Mm-hmm. How about Kansas City, Cleveland? I have them as my AFC championship game. That's how it ends. Kansas City home at Cleveland. Who are you at the end of the season? We're, are you planting the seed for 2022? Have you planted the seed of 2022 real contention? What does the gap look like? This is assuming all of this is under the assuming borough health, which I know is not a given. What do you look like in comparison to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns in January? January 2nd and January 9th. To me, that's another organizational turning point where we talk about, do those games mean anything? And how close are you to the level that those teams expect to be playing at at that point? And who knows what they'll be, what anybody will be at that point. But I think that's a big deal, and it's really interesting the way it sets up that way. Yeah, and what you said about the first six weeks is important. And, and the one game you didn't mention, that the home game against the Packers, is that's a legitimate Super Bowl contender mm-hmm. with one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and if if you you're at, you're at home for that game, if if they figure out a way to win that one, I mean, say that that's Week Five. So say the first four, you somehow come out of it three and one, even two and two, and you can you can get a, a huge win against the best team in that six game stretch. That can go a long way as well. I mean, if if they can be even three and three going to going to Baltimore in Week Seven, I think that just kind of serves as a springboard for the whole season. And yes, you look at the overall 
construction of that first six and you would like to be more than three and three, but, or better than three and three, but you got to remember where this team's coming from, where they are. You can't, you can't get too rosy glassed. I mean, I, I think anybody right now would sign up for three and three heading to Baltimore in week seven. Absolutely. I, I mean, with the, the who they are right now, I totally agree with mm. you, Jay. I mean, I, it's fine to have expe- like blow away expectations in your head and think that they're going to be, you know, it, three and three is important because you don't want to know because the next question is this define failure. And there's only one way I think that you, there's a couple of different aspects of defining failure in this year's team, but really, the one that matters most is being forced to hit the reset button when it's over. You know, this is the year that you got to, it's the proving ground year. It's, it's make or break. Mike Brown said it. You got to win. He said it, not us. He's you got to win. You got to go prove it at this point. You can't be six twenty five and one. And if you have to hit the reset button at the end of this year, it sets you back. And maybe some, you know, new coaches can come in and quickly turn things around and you got Burrow, it's easier sell, all those things. That's fine. You don't want to have you don't want that to be what this year is. That's failure. If you if that's where this thing ends up. And to me that's where I circle it. That's failure to me. The question is how bad does it have to be for them to hit the reset button? Right. How many wins? That's hard. I mean, I, I, you know, Mike, I don't know that Mike will look at it as a number. You know, I don't know that they'll think of it that way. I mean, there are numbers. If you're, I mean, if you're under the Vegas number, you're in, you're in the cone of probability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a chance. Uh, I think you clear that, you're fine. But because if you're winning seven games, even though you lost 10, you know, you probably have some decent sized wins in there. There's probably some reasons that you were really excited in this roster. Still has holes, man. It still has a lot of holes. It still probably needs another offseason. Um, that's another indictment of its in of itself. But you know, I, I think you start bringing decisions into play if you're if you're six and eleven. That's for sure. Yeah, and and, and especially like we said earlier, how you get to six eleven, how you, five. I think you're definitely in trouble. But six and eleven, if it starts starts well, as we all think. With that, with that easy first game stretch, and then just kind of plummets from there. Definitely, and and on the flip side, if you know, I it, they haven't done it often, but I could see a scenario where if those first six don't go well, they could be hitting the reset button before this season even ends. A lot of times, what forces that is the feeling that something can be gained that the season is not going to be lost if you make this move. It's what we saw with Terrell Austin. It's what we saw with Ken Zampezi. Terrell Austin at midway through the season with the defense and Marvin taking over the defense, Ken Zampezi after two games um, as coordinator. It's what we've seen happen in the past is a staple of the 90s Bengals, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Bruce Coslett, Dave Shula, these guys that dip out midway sometimes early some often early actually and because when you when there's still hope for the season you know the ownership looks at it and says we've worked too hard we feel like we've assembled too many good players and we're not getting it out of them 
and 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 somebody else a different voice can get it out of them right that that's why where this stuff happens and there are, and and i again I, I don't think that's what anybody wants or anybody is even really you have that in the back of your mind but you your 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 belief of every the direction that they're headed right now you have belief in burrow you have belief in the in the in the makeup of the roster you have belief in what's happening on defense you believe in all that stuff and there's reason to believe but the bottom line is because of the setup because you can have losses to Jacksonville in prime time and Detroit who's rebuilding and Minnesota and Chicago who you know aren't contenders necessarily it sets up where it can look ugly and it can feel really ugly if it does, if it goes totally sideways, um, that's that's the disaster scenario. I mean, that's a total disaster scenario, right? And I don't, you, you're, I don't think even people that aren't Zach Taylor fans, no one, no one wants that at this point. I mean, even if it means change, no one's, I don't think, rooting for them to have the disaster scenario early, and I don't think they will. I don't. If you know, you talked about the Vegas line being six and a half. Where would you set the line? After week six, three. Two I mean, they're half. over under. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. over under. I mean, if I was setting it, if I'm trying to get even action on both sides, two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. I mean, if I if I'm if I'm really trying to you know hit the Vegas handicap and look at it objectively from that, I mean, two and a half is are they going to get to three? Is more the question than are they going to get to four? You know, I mean, I think yeah. it's the idea of them going four and two. It, maybe that's a, maybe that's too rosy. May I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And this is what I said in, in the story, and that stood out to me about this. When you find yourself in the zone of quarterback ascension time on the rookie contract, is how far will he ascend? Not knowing who he's going to be. Totally. We're still learning that about Joe Burrow. And that is even more so because we missed the second half of his season when we thought he would take off. The, the range of possible outcomes is greater than most normal teams where you can get a better feel for it. Add on to it a roster with depth issues that can easily be totally untied by some key injuries. And now that's exponentially so. To me, I think the Bengals could make a real argument as having the widest spectrum of possible outcomes in the NFL. Because we don't Burrow could be great. Like we could be about to watch the Burrow breakout. And would anybody be surprised by that? Never bet against no. this dude. Ne- I mean never. Would anybody be surprised by the Bengals starting 0 and 6? <laughs> I mean, look who they've been. That would be marginally surprising. But they also, with Burrow, were two seven and one last year, and they lost games they had no business losing. That's what I'm saying. You know, a couple of injuries. You know, some games blowing some games they shouldn't win, which they have done plenty of in the last couple of years. And you could see them on the other end. It's a really hard team to predict. They're going to be wild cards, man. They're going to be really fun, really interesting, and total wild cards. It's it's as hard to predict a team because of where they're at organizationally as as I can remember. And, and I, I really think it, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody else with a, with a wider range of possible outcomes. No, and, and that comes it comes down to 
like you said, the potential of Burrow having a young team, it is the, the right word is wild card. You have no idea. You could see a situation where they get off to a hot start. All these young, brash guys, the confidence starts rolling and they, they, it just takes off. You could see an O lineman or two getting hurt in the first couple games. And you've written about this a lot. You, you have zero quality depth. Not, I shouldn't say quality. You have zero proven depth on that offensive line. And the, that could derail the team. That could that could look as ugly as twenty twenty did at times with with Burrow constantly getting knocked around. It can just you're right. I I would have to go through every team and and look for someone that has kind of that wide crazy spectrum. But no one I don't think would be wider than what the Bengals. There might be some that be in that range. But this, I I mean, you could see four and thirteen, and you could you could make an argument. That if all goes right, this could be a ten, a double digit win team. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I went through and and I linked to this in the story, and we can talk about this now. Is is what do Burrow's numbers look like? Look, quarterbacks that you know, I, I went back to the number of adjusted net yards per attempt plus to compare across eras, and try to look at the second year jump over all you know course of the last real 15, 20 years. And what that has meant, and and in doing that, you just you just look at it. Quarterbacks that do the jump and end up being sort of in the top half of the league in adjusted yards per attempt, a step that Joe Burrow should be able to jump to, um, if he takes a, a very standard jump, they win games, and usually they win a decent amount of games. You know, in that story, I had the subset of the nine quarterbacks who had their first season in the 90s, so worse than somewhere between 0 and 10% of the average quarterback for that year, and that all of them jumped in their second year, and most of them ended up over 100, and all of them had either in the playoffs or winning records. No losing records among that group because there's a, there's a momentum that comes with that. And we know how this team feeds off Joe Burrow. And so, so much of this, as much as we want to make it about the line and about the defense and about the coaching staff and everything else, this is the NFL. We know what it's about. It's about the quarterback. And this franchise will always be about the quarterback right now, considering who it is. He is the guy. And it's about him. If he develops and turns into a dude and he is a top 10 quarterback or on the fringe of that, this team is going to win games. It's impossible not. I mean, you'd have to be the 2020 Texans outlier and blow every single game in sight with a great quarterback. That just It just almost never happens. And so to me, it's what do Burrow's numbers look like, you know? I mean, that that I when I picked them eight and eight and nine, as I did in my prediction, it came back to am I betting on Burrow or am I betting on the the, the long list of concerns I have? I just think quarterback's more important, and I'm just not going to bet against that guy. No, and why would you? I mean, he's he has the proven track record. And think about this too. I wonder how many of those those quarterbacks that made the big second year jump had what Joe Burrow has around him. His three top receivers are all first or second round picks. His it, the top running backs a second round pick. The, the next most important player, the left tackle, first round pick. It's it's set. I mean, it's it's not like he has to. 
he he will be the guy that carries this team, but it's not like he has to. It's it, it it's not like he's got a bunch of mid round guys around him that he needs to elevate. He's got elite talent around him that he just has to rely on. And I I, I see him making a big jump this year. It all comes down obviously to whether whether he's healthy or not. But um, I. My number, I already read your story, so I saw what your numbers were. Mine were fairly similar to yours. How did you, where did you feel like you differed? Um, I had a few more interceptions. Would you have eight? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had, I went palindrome all the way across the board <laughs> on, I went 4,114 yards, 33 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And my 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 yards per attempt was I think yours was what seven nine, I was a seven point four, and then my seven, passer rating seven, yeah mm-hmm. seven seven, and I had a ninety nine point five passer rating, and I think you just had him a nudge over a hundred. Yeah, that and and that you know those yards per attempt and passer rating. Of course, we've talked a lot about just net yards per attempt here and, and the importance of that number in the big picture of really judging success and wins. You know, that would put him on the fringes last year of top 10, you know, mm-hmm. 11, 10, right in that area, depending on. And, you know, so we can get involved. I mean, he, he may get, like I said, he may he may end up near 5,000 yards. But you add in the 17th game and the amount that they're going to throw it probably. And that's not necessarily as big a deal. It's going to be about proficiency. The other thing about, you know, protecting him and what Burrow will do you know, so much of the struggles early last year was him learning how to deal with pressure in this league and what plays he needs to try to make after the play and which ones he needs to give up on. And the coaching staff learned a lot about protecting him from himself and how to do that. And that's when their offense really took off, you know, was when they started just realizing we just got to use quick game and scheme the line out of it a little bit throw the underneath and the intermediate stuff and discovered how how great Joe Burrow was intermediate. He was one of the top five quarterbacks thrown intermediate last year. If you go by look at PFS in-depth stats on that, the thing they were missing was the explosive play, the deep ball. Right. And so they feel like they're trying to fix that with Jamar Chase. I think they fixed that with the second year of T. Higgins. Um, and you hope that Burrow, something that he's worked on and they're focused on, it, they can they can get some of those. I mean, that's a big deal. Here's what I'll say to you, Jay. Run, pass, or boot time. All right. You ready? Yeah. Run, pass, or boot, the most important, the key number on offense out of these three. Completion percentage on 20-plus yard balls. Number of total starts for the current five starting offensive linemen. Jamar Chase catch percentage. So, which of those three will be the most important numbers for the success of the offense and the team? Uh, I would run with starts for the offensive linemen just because there are so many question marks behind those guys. And, you know, if you get two guys go down early, it, it could, even with a quick passing game, it, it could really derail things. And, like, you know, one of the things you didn't mention is when when the offense started taking off last year, it started taking off without Joe Mixon. It was after he was already out for the year. If you have a healthy Joe Mixon, that's that's gonna the, just the threat of him 
regardless of how effective he is, that's going to loosen up defenses a little bit more for them to hit the the deep balls and the plus 20%. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily the most important number. I'll, I'll pass on that. I think it's second. It's it's maybe close to starts for the offensive lineman. And I'm going to boot the the chase catch percentage. I just I have a stat in my story today looking at the rookie drops, and you know you're you're gonna have it. It just it ha- even the great ones they 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 struggle. And I just can't see it would have to be like an off the rails twenty to twenty five drop kind of season to really have have an impact where it's the most impactful number of those three and i don't think that's going to happen i think he's going to get this figured out and he'll be in that range where a lot of rookies are with you know anywhere between a handful and 10 drops on the year as long as they're spread out not a bunch in one game um, not a bunch that lead to interceptions i I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal so that's that's the direction i'll go i'll run with the o-line starts pass on completions over 20 over 20 yards and boot chase's catch percentage I probably should have included mix and yards per carry in there. The thing, the thing I'll yeah. say about chase catch percentage is that's not just drops. You know, think about the problem yeah. lot with what happened with AJ Green last year was they targeted him over a hundred times and he had a far career low in, in receptions percentage. You know, and, and it was like it's now a matter of what do you do with those other one hundred those eight hundred AJ Green targets? Are they more is he catching the ball more often? Is he getting open? Are they forcing it to him and he's not making the play? Is he getting enough separation? Is he catching actually catching the ball at the catch point? You know, so I think it goes that to me that it's not necessarily just about drops. It's about him starting to dominate and win quickly, right? That's what we were sold with picking Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, it's that you can protect the quarterback more with receivers that win quickly and decisively than almost even you do with offensive linemen in today's game. That was part of the core principle of that decision. So is Jamar Chase doing that? <laughs> you know, and it's like saying, well, is Panay Sewell actually blocking the guy? You know, so, it, and the answer has been no in the preseason for both of those, but you, 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 if that's the case, then it's then it pays off. Then your decision pays off. Your offense really goes that what you want it to be with these weapons everywhere and everybody's getting open and everybody's p- capable of making really dynamic plays in their own way. And that's why I think that number is more important than just drops. I think that's what people are going to pay attention at and point and laugh at and all that stuff. But I think it's going to be more about his his total catch percentage on the targets that do end his way because he's going to get targets. He's not going to not get targeted. If I was throwing Mixon yards per carry in here, it, whew, that one could end up higher. I mean, I because mm. it takes pressure off everybody, off all of these other things. Um, if you're if you're getting Joe Mixon going, and I've said this before, on pretty much any outlet would ask me, and on this podcast. What makes the Bengals' offense good is Burrow and these receivers. I mean, that's what makes them good. That's their baseline of why they're scary. What makes them a nightmare is if Joe Mixon gets it rolling too. If you now have to really worry about Joe Mixon at 4.5 yards per carry, 2018 with Frank Pollock, Joe Mixon, and the line and, and this scheme is working for him and it fits his eye like everybody keeps saying, and, and Mixon is that dude, you are screwed. <laughs> because now you're having to pay attention to that. You're having to really focus on him. 
And then here's Higgins, Boyd, Burrow, Chase, all doing their thing and trying to win quickly and decisively. And you're not having to rely on throwing it 45, 50 times a game. You know, that I think is really going to be, could be the telling part of that. So I might, if I was redoing it and put that in there, I might make that number one. I might run with it. I might run with it. With completion percentage over 20 plus, uh, I'd probably, a second. I just think, I I, I think that they can, because I, I think that goes hand in hand. If you're, even if the backups are playing, which I think is a disaster, and you're just trying to keep them healthy. Hmm. Uh, if, if, He's back there throwing it and completing a bunch of balls down the field. That means they're they're doing it. They're winning. They're holding it up long enough. Really, the most important number though is how many games does Joe Burrow play? Yes, and, and I, I kept that out because it doesn't even need to be discussed. <laughs> obviously, obviously they are totally hosed. They are effed if Burrow gets hurt again. Everybody in the building is, and uh, that's no secret. Yeah, and the 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 number of the starts for the offensive linemen that. That could be high, and it could still be bad. It's not like this is a, a great offensive line, and you you if they start every game, they're going to be just fine. There's still question marks there, but yeah, if you if you threw in mixing yards per carry, um, I think I would lean on that one above starts for the offensive linemen because I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. Um, that number is is a fun one. Seventeen times five. 85 over under what would you, what would we place the over under on the 85 potential starts for the five offensive linemen now you're taking in injury you're taking in performance you know i mean i think there's mm-hmm. a chance you got to feel like at some point that Jackson Carmen Deontay Smith um will be replacing somebody uh i mean <laughs> That's a hard one. You know, I mean, if you got if you got 75% out of that, I mean, you're you're at 64. I just I just wrote down 63.5 as my as yeah. my what my over under number would be. Yeah, that's it. Over under. So if you want to go if you want to do Vegas with your friends, over under 5 offensive linemen total starts out of the 17 for all 5. We're putting it over under 60 we'll say 63 and a half. I'll do that. 63 yeah. and a half is the over under number. You make your bet. Where would you, I, I, it's impossible bet. Like you just don't yeah. know. It's injury. I go under just yeah. history. Yeah, it's a hard it's hard to think that you're going to end up better off than that. All right, let's just take a quick break. Let's switch over to the defense cuz we just always forget them. They're just <laughs> they just oh, you know, we're 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 40 whatever minutes in. Let's talk about the defense. Uh, run, pass, or boot. Key number on the defense. Defensive tackle pressures. Interceptions. Stops at the end of half or the game, which we've decided the, the two minutes before halftime are now officially dubbed the Morrison minutes. <laughs> That's your stat. You own it. In Morrison minutes... And at the end of game where they have failed to close out games consistently the last two years, which of those three are the most important for this defense? Well, even though it's my stat, I just, I don't think that that's 
because we're saying stops. If we, if it said stops slash scores at the end of the half and the end of the game, I, I might run with that one. But the way, I mean, Zach loves Morrison minutes as much as I do. And his whole thing is to, to try to get that double dip. And they, they, they work the clock. So to try to get the ball at the end of the half. So it, it's not as important to come up with stops at the end of the half. Obviously, if you're the one with the ball. So I'm going to go interceptions. I just think turnovers are the most important thing for a defense, period. Um, so if we're going to talk about just these three elements, then I'll, I will say interceptions. I'll run with that far and away. Um, and then I'll, I'll pass on the the pressures by the defensive tackles, and I'll boot the stops at the end of the end of the half and end of the game. Stops at the end of the game obviously are huge, um, but they don't have to be. If you're losing by double digits and you stop a team or the team stops itself by taking a knee that doesn't really play into it. So I just, I'm going to put that, even though I love the end of the half stat, I'm going to, I'm going to boot that one, put that one at the end. This is under the assumption that this team will be playing a lot of close games as it has the last couple of years. And sure. I mean, there'll be some, I mean, kneel downs and I mean, I'm talking about important stops, you know, how many of those are there is starting to finish. You know, being the ones that are capable of finishing a game and not having Donovan Peoples Jones over Darius Phillips and any number of millions of times this has happened. Carson Wentz driving the length of the field. You know, all these things that happened over and over again over the course of the last couple of years and last year in particular. A team that is impossibly four and eight when leading at halftime. <laughs> and. That's the type of stuff. It learning how to finish and doing that. Uh, I I think defensive tackle pressures and interceptions, all that they do kind of go hand in hand with that type of stuff because that's typically how you end those games is with pressure, particularly up the middle where the quarterback can't step up and you allow. Because I I think the reason I put defensive tackles, I think Hendrickson and Hubbard. I think we know what. I feel like I know what they're gonna be. I think they're going to be solid. They're going to be high, that relentless energy that they've tried to recruit. Um, the same thing Joseph Osai was before he got hurt. And 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 I think you'll get that, assuming they stay healthy. Um, but I don't know what you're going to get up the middle, and that's so much of what killed last year. And and you hope Ogan Joby and BJ Hill and maybe a healthy reader, all of that can can give you. If it does, I think their I think their defense will be much better. I mean, I I gave them twenty more sacks than last year, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is actually, and it still only puts them about at the middle of the pack. Yeah, it still puts them in the thirties. So you know, you're not. It, that's how bad it was. And when you don't have that, you're just hosed. And so I'm gonna start there. Because I think they create the interceptions more so than the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to start with defensive tackle pressures, and I'm going to pass on interceptions. And I, I will boot the stops, although I do think them needing to learn how to finish is a big deal. I think it's close. Um, but I, I'll go with that. I just, you know, for this this defense, I mean, we haven't talked about them much, but they have played well at every opportunity in camp and in preseason. I think the hopes are high, man. And, and – it makes me here's the other question that I'll ask them. Better NFL rank in terms of points per game, either scored or allowed, by the end of the season. Offense or defense? 
not total yards, points per game. Let's go points. Go off points. Points. Points scored. So, and I'm not counting if the Bengals get a pick six. So offensive points scored. Offensive points and then defensive points allowed. Uh, which um, who will rank better? You know, a few months ago, I would have said this is obviously offense, but from what we've seen in camp, um, I I might lean. I I might go defense on this one. I think that's a bit of an upset, but I, I think I, I think the yards may not be as impressive, but I, I think this team can can kind of do it in the red zone, stop teams, hold them to field goals. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be dominant by any means, but I, I do think there's going to be more turnovers they force, which obviously keeps the points down. Uh, I'll I'll take defense just a nose or two higher than offense. I do worry about the offense in the red zone. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder where that's coming from. We've seen them struggle there before. You know, I, I just, I'm just not sure that they're going to capitalize and have sevens instead of threes as often as they should. And the fact that we're even having this discussion is a good sign for the, what we what the expectations are for the defense. My gut says defense too, and that's not great for anybody uh, because you want this to be a top five offense. But I, I wonder about the if if they can be a top 10 offense in the red zone it won't even be close i think that they'll move the ball consistently they have enough weapons to do that burrow's good enough at that you should be able to do that it's going to be so much about if they punch it in more often than they have the last couple years and if they do that i think then you'll see them be what they want to be but i don't know that we're going to see that so I, i think it could be close maybe it'll be a push maybe a tie i don't know well the other thing is you you have what you haven't had in the past where Maybe these where you're in range for a 45 to a 55 yard field goal, you're going to start getting a lot more of those with Evan McPherson. That's going to be more points. Whereas in the past, you're either turning it over on fourth down or, or punting there. So that he is, he's a wild card in this as well. But I, I, I do, I think that they're going to be really close, but, but I would lean defense on, on the higher rank. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's kind of. Big picture on on the team. We will have a lot more of big picture predictions. We'll talk about you know potential superlatives, MVPs. We'll do more on the receivers, um, all the, the 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 awards and our concerns with with Mo and with some other folks at Fifty West on Thursday. That'll be in, and then we'll have that podcast for you too. We'll have that up on Friday after we do the the session Thursday. But you can always just come out and see it live, and then have your own questions answered uh, after we go off air. Um, as well, um, if you if you come out to Fifty West on Thursday, so we hope to see you there more big picture season prediction talk. But because we're going to be so focused on big picture, uh, we want to do Vikings now um, a little bit. And the best way to do that is to bring in our Vikings expert. What I love about the Athletic the most is no matter who we're playing, no matter where you're going, uh, we've got an insider. Somebody knows about that team as well as anybody. And uh, so, and all all for one price, Jay. Can you believe it? Half off one price. Half off. Sale, sale, sale. Get in now. <laughs> uh, so I, we have Chad Graff, who is awesome covering the Vikings uh, in Twin Cities. And uh, spoke to him a little bit about where they're at, uh, the Bengals' connections, how relevant they're going to be. 
and much more as we kind of get into Bengals Vikings a little bit. So here is our guy, Chad Graff. Uh, in Minnesota. All right, the season has begun, and that means we begin our favorite thing of bringing in our uh, athletic team to talk about the game that week. And it's a fun one this week. There's so many familiar faces that I feel like I don't have enough time to go through the, the weird amount of Bengals and Vikings connections that exist. But we have a uh, Chad Graff in Minnesota coming in. What's up, Chad? How are you? It's weird to say that the Vikings and Bengals uh, have all of these connections. <laughs> it's it's extremely odd. It's extremely odd. I I, I want to. Uh, there's a few that I want that I want to pop through. It's the first game is a lot of unknowns. Like you know that obviously the Bengals have a whole lot of unknowns. What's Burrow going to look like? What's Jamar Chase is going to catch the ball? Uh, a whole new defense. They've sort of microwaved through free agency. But a Minnesota side, how much do you feel like is unknown considering last year's disappointment and how many injuries they had to fight through? Definitely fewer unknowns for Minnesota than Cincinnati, but there are still plenty. The defense, you know, for the continuity of having Mike Zimmer for all of these years since 2014 and for still having Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, um, Daniil Hunter, like they've got some guys who have been here for several years. They've got Zimmer. And yet there's still a lot of unknowns. I think you could start with the offense, which brings back a lot of the same names that people will know. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Kirk Cousins at quarterback. But the offensive line has been bad for years. It probably got worse after losing, uh, speaking of one of the connections, Riley Reef. Um, so what does the offense look like? They have a new coordinator, uh, the son of last year's coordinator, Clint Kubiak, taking over for Gary Kubiak. So they're probably going to run this same scheme, but we just don't really know how that's going to look. They were terrible in the preseason. I don't want to put a whole lot of stock in that, but it is worth noting that the first team offense with all of those weapons, Cook, Jefferson, Thielen, zero touchdowns. And then on the defensive side, seven new starters, um, including Mackenzie Alexander, another one of those connections. So uh, a lot of new players that they're, you know, bringing into the mix. I mean, you talked about, I mean, Mackenzie Alexander there now. Trey Waynes probably won't play in the opener here. He's yet to play for the Bengals uh, after getting injured before last season and having a hamstring he's dealing with now. Riley Reef is going is gonna to play right tackle. What was your what was your guys' scouting report on Riley for the time that you saw him there? What should Bengals fans expect? Um, really a no-nonsense guy. Doesn't want to be in front of cameras. He's sort of the quintessential <laughs> offensive lineman, uh, you know, classic former wrestler, Iowa guy, um, a big guy, you know, just quietly kind of does well. He's not going to stand out very often, and yet, you know, he's just a solid tackle. And I was a little bit surprised that the Vikings ended up letting him go. It was sort of a, a weird scenario. I don't know if you guys have gotten into it much, but he missed week 17 last year because he was on the COVID reserve list. And that ended up costing him a $1 million bonus that he was set to get if he started in every game. The Vikings, knowing that they wanted to bring Riley Reef back, said, you know, hey, we know that you lost this million bucks, but we're going to do you a solid. We're going to stay in your good graces. Here's a $1 million check. Remember that when it comes time for free agency. Then free agency comes and he's like, thanks for that million bucks, guys. I am out of here. Um, <laughs> so that was just kind of a funny wrinkle of it. And now 
the Vikings drafted a new left tackle in the first round. He still hasn't played because of injury. So um, Riley Reef, nothing flashy, but just a solid offensive tackle. One other Bengals connection, which is just the league has these now. And every time the Bengals play a team with LSU players on it, we talk about them, <laughs> is Joe Burrow, who had an incredible quote about Justin Jefferson the other day where he said, uh, we made each other a lot of money. And uh, he's not wrong. In fact, Joe Burrow made a lot of people a lot of money. Our uh, our colleague Brody Miller down at LSU actually did a story after the LSU's championship season of how much money everyone made off of that run from coaches getting promotions and Joe Brady and Burrow and Jefferson and now Jamar Chase. It's true. One interesting element is people have been really blowing up on Jamar Chase's struggles and the drops, and he's just had a, a rough start through preseason. What was the opinion of Justin Jefferson at this time last year before we knew who he was going to become? Well, so it's interesting. Justin Jefferson arrived and the knock on him coming out of college, he was not one of those top three wide receivers that everybody talked about in that wide receiver class because people thought he could only play in the slot. That's where he exceeded with Burrow. That's you know where he was with that LSU team. So he comes to Minnesota. They start working him on the outside a little bit more, and it doesn't start off great. You know, there are moments in practice when you can look back on and be like, wow, that, you know, that was a play that nobody else on this team could make. But then there was sometimes lining up in the wrong spot. Maybe the route wasn't precise, a few drops. It, it was not great to the point where when the Vikings opened up last season in week one, Justin Jefferson was not a starter. He lost a starting job to BC Johnson a guy who really didn't do much after that and ended up falling down the depth chart and, you know, won't play this season. So Justin Jefferson, people forget was the number three wide receiver behind BC Johnson. And it took all the way until week three before he got a starting job. And right from that point, he took off and, and got going, but it was slow progress for Justin Jefferson, as good as he is now week three through week 17, you know, close to a top five wide receiver, but mini camp training camp through week two. He was definitely not at that level uh, because I had to keep going through these connections. So you, <laughs> you have a story. It's up now on uh, eight key under the radar Vikings who could make or break their season. And as you go through it, look who it is. It's Nick Vigil and Mackenzie Alexander, uh, both with former with Bengals ties. Mackenzie, who was over here for a cup of coffee before going back, and Nick Vigil, who uh, was on the wrong end of the Lamar Jackson spin a few years ago and uh, a Bengals draft pick. You have them in there as kind of the the pieces that are going to come in in that, depending whether they have three linebackers or are in there, you know, or in the in a nickel. How, I mean, how much are the is how much are they relying on those guys and where does, where does the defense fit as far as feeling like Mike Zimmer has the pieces that he really wants? He's been really happy with both of those guys. They kind of, I think share a starting role might be the best way to put it uh, depending on, you know, what the offense is doing, but to start with vigil, the Vikings had no third linebacker drafted a guy in the third round, Chaz Surratt, who just hasn't, He's nowhere close to starting right now. And so Vigil's the only linebacker who they were impressed with throughout. Obviously, he's got a connection with Paul Gunther, another uh, Vikings-Bengals connection. Um, and so that was why he was brought in. And then he just climbed the depth chart, linebacker six, linebacker five, linebacker four. Now he's the third linebacker in that base defense. Um, you know, he'll be better in pass coverage than he will be a run blocker. But I think the Vikings are okay with that. They have two run-stuffing defensive tackles. They have Eric Kendricks at middle linebacker who, you know, is among the best at stopping the run. So they're okay with him, you know, just being able to 
hopefully cover tight ends and, and not be um, relied as much as a tackler. And then with Mackenzie Alexander, he's a guy who Mike Zimmer knows extremely well, drafted by the Vikings, spent his first four years in Minnesota, um, and really, I think, has grown up, as Mike Zimmer has said it. He came here kind of immature from Clemson, thinking he had made it. Um, and I think the last probably two years may have humbled him a little bit. So he'll be the starting nickel, and, and Mike Zimmer likes what he sees so far from him. The other interesting piece that you have up now, and again, this is the advantage of being an athletic subscriber that I love. You can just get this awesome stuff inside every team you play every week. It's a great story about how, forget last year, now the Vikings offense is more worried than the defense. And, you know, last year, the I mean, I always track, look at Mike Zimmer's defensive record because there's always an outlier every like five, 10 years where it just clearly it was unovercomable. Zim will get you to a certain point defensively almost every single year, but the, the injuries really made it really tough to survive offensively why is it why are there so many concerns now on the offensive side of the ball i mean i guess of course the 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 covid storyline has existed nationally that came out of out of minneapolis but i mean why do you see it that way so last year the vikings were the number 11 offense in terms of points they were around 11 and 12 in a lot of the advanced metrics and what i think is concerning for them while some people point to you know hey we still have all this talent we still have all these guys Everything kind of broke the Vikings' way on offense last year. They did not have many injuries. The offensive line was healthy. Justin Jefferson was healthy. Adam Thielen was healthy. Dalvin Cook was the healthiest he's ever been. Um, Kirk Cousins didn't miss any games. Like Everything broke that way. And on top of that, they had a legendary play caller and schemer um, in Gary Kubiak, kind of the inventor of this zone scheme that they want to play. Now, is that going to change drastically with Gary's son, Quint, running it? Probably not. I I don't think so, at least not the scheme. But Quint Kubiak has never called plays, not at the high school level, not college, nowhere. So it's kind of a big deal to have your first meaningful play call be in a season opener uh, in the NFL. So I, I think there's just a lot of questions. And I think my concern is everything went the Vikings way a year ago on offense, and you still just hit 11. Why, why should we believe that you're suddenly, as they think, going to be, you know, maybe the number seven offense, number eight offense, nine, they would point to, you know, Hey, we've got more familiarity with Justin Jefferson. He's going to be even better this year. He was pretty dang good last year. So I I don't know. We'll find out, but um, I don't see the offense really taking a big step forward. It's going to be fun to watch uh, a lot of unknowns, a lot of connections all over the place. We probably didn't even get to all of them. It's just such a weird thing, but it's going to be fun. To have. The cool thing is, I guess, does the whole team come and camp out at Zim's ranch in Northern Kentucky? Like on Saturday night, is that a big team bonding experience? Or are they still going to go get the hotel? Zimmer's talking about 20 minutes. We may have to find out. I know he's added a little par three golf course to his backyard about 20 <laughs> minutes from the stadium. So maybe he'll have the guys over for a little chipping contest or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chad, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate the insight. And uh, hopefully I assume you're coming into town, uh, coming into town. We'll have to hit you My up all the spots trip. to go to. For sure. It'll be the first. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Chad. All right. Much thanks to, uh, to Chad for catching up with us up there in Minnesota as they, go through their own e- eventful lead up to the season. It's kind of interesting. I mean, Riley Reef, Trey Waynes, Mike Zimmer, Paul Gunther, Nick Vigil, Mackenzie Alexander. I mean, you just you, you just start when you start going down the line um of, of all the connections, it's it's 
pretty fascinating, actually. And that's before you get into LSU and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. What I thought, you know, was interesting was it was him talking a little bit about, hey, Justin Jefferson didn't really do anything until week three last year, and he was behind what was his name? BC Johnson. He was <laughs> he was behind BC Johnson. If that's it, if I, I hopefully I got that name correct. I mean. People got to remember that. And this is like the, the season everybody wants Jamar Chase to have. And yeah. at this time last year, Justin Jefferson was just a backup to BC. You know, the the one connection that gets overlooked in this whole thing, and I think it wouldn't be the case if if they played more often, if they were both in the same conference, but it's the it's the Dalvin Cook Joe Mixon connection. Yeah. Where when the bank when the Bengals traded back in round two, they traded with the Vikings, and that's who the Vikings took was Dalvin Cook. So it was you know the Bengals could have had Dalvin Cook without trading back, and I think what did the trade back net them Malik Jefferson? So well, technically a move up, yeah, a move up where the, it was it was Hubbard and Jefferson back to back. Yeah, but those I really I'm surprised that we we don't make that connection more often that, you know, they, they could have had Dalvin cook instead of Joe Mixon. Would that have changed anything? They're, they're both terrific running backs, but it, it is just kind of a, a unique connection that, that gets overlooked because they only play every four years. Yeah. I mean that, that absolutely could have gone either way. They could have sat there and absolutely had Dalvin cook. What, how, how different is Dalvin cook's career in Cincinnati versus Joe Mixon's in Minnesota? <laughs> Yeah, uh, but all, I mean, we're going back to that draft and why teams were not selecting Joe Mixon, so yeah. it's a whole different story. But um, anyway, you know, you're right. That is, it is an interesting connection, and that's. I mean, that when we talk about this game Sunday, I mean, that's we know what Mike Zimmer wants to be running in defense, mm-hmm. and their defense. People point out how they were bad last year. Do not do that. <laughs> they were they were injured like nobody's been injured, and you're now going to have a fully stocked roster for Mike Zimmer to screw you up with, and uh, he will do it because he always does. So you know, and if they can get Dalvin Kick going, Cook going, running the ball, yeah, I, I think that's an area where the Bengals could succeed. You know, Sam Hubbard, one of the best rush stopping edges. You, you've you've got DJ Reader. You've got. I mean, they they have invested. They've certainly not shied away from investing in guys who stop the run. Whether you're talking about Reed or they'll have Tupo back, who that was what he did well before he, he opted out. Uh, you've got Tyler Shelvin, the massive man in the middle. I mean, you've got these guys that are. You think your linebackers are going to be better? You 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 invested in corners that also can tackle. I mean, Mike Hilton. It's kind of a you know his ability to go up and come up and tackle, and that was part of Trey Wayne's if you had him. So Von Bell, I mean that you feel like you should be built to stop them, but this is you know they also thought they were built to stop the run last year, and then with everything on the line in Cleveland in week two, they got absolutely run over. Um, and so what does that look like? You force the ball into Kirk Cousins' hands instead of Dalvin Cook's hands, you got a better chance, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think I think Trey Hendrickson. Everybody kind of looks at him as a one trick pony, as just a, a a guy rushing the quarterback off the edge. He it, he surprised me in camp how well he did set the edge against the run. And the, the run game in camp is what it is. But there were a lot of times he was blowing up jet sweeps or, or forcing plays to go way out wider than or forcing it back into the pursuit. Um, I that's 
one of the things that I'm kind of eager to watch in the first couple of weeks is, is how he plays against the run, because I think it is, it, it, it almost is looked at as a bonus part of his game. Um, and you look at a guy coming off finishing second in the league in sacks, um, I, he, with him on one side and Sam Hubbard on the other. And that's maybe that's Sam's bigger strength than rushing the, is setting the edge and, and playing against the run than actually rushing the passer. Um, it could be a, a, a much better defense against the run. And, and you, you just, you forget about the linebackers too. If Jermaine Pratt takes a step, if Logan Wilson takes the step that they're expecting him to take, just even if without those guys taking a step, if the D line's better, it automatically makes the linebackers better. But if the linebackers get better on their own, it, it could look a lot different this year than it did last year. Or, <laughs> or not. <laughs> Or it could look like a team that the last two years has ranked in the 20s defensively. We shall see. I, I mean, that'll be an interesting look to see how that goes. Uh, but, I, you know, you it, again, it's it's a lot of the unknowns of the opener are similar to the unknowns of the season. You know, there's just a, a lot to figure out and see how. I mean, how is Joe Burrow going to be? Is it going to take him a week or two to get acclimated the same way taking him? It took him a week or two at the beginning of pre training camp. You know, is it going to take him time to kind of really get feeling it? And and how is Mike Zimmer going to hinder that too? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's – there's just a lot. You know, what's Jamar Chase going to look like? You know, I sort of asked Zach Taylor on Monday, is there a plan B if this game starts and Chase's drops and stuff roll over? His answer, no, of course. I mean, you know, we oh, Jamar's going to do great. You have to say that. Yeah. Uh, there better be, you know. So you, you get into stuff like that. And it, it's a lot of not knowing exactly what we're going to see. That's the fun of the opener. It's the fun of the beginning of every season. And Minnesota is a really interesting team to go up against. But a home game against a team that's got its own warts is one, if you're the new Bengals, that you want to be, you should be able to win. I, had, I, I predicted them to win. I don't know why. But other than the last couple of openers, I feel like they've, they have played pretty well. And they just blown games they had no business blowing, and both of them because of missed kicks. Randy. Evan McPherson makes it. You know, if Evan McPherson is the kicker in Seattle, if Evan McPherson is the kicker against the Chargers last year, do they win those games? They they might at least go to overtime. They at least go to overtime, and they almost certainly well, almost certainly they they probably win in Seattle. You know. Oh yeah, and you know. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's the difference. Evan McPherson, MVP. MVP. That's right. Uh, All right. That'll wrap us up again. uh, I hope to see people out at 50 West on Friday. Come have some beers. Uh, You know they're delicious. Uh, And talk some football and then watch some football in the beer garden. It's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful night for it. Uh, really exciting. If it's not, don't worry about it. They got the tents out there. So we'll be, we can go into the tents and, and keep everybody dry. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great time. I'm really excited about it. I love this time of year. I, I, I love ever being able to get out and do stuff like this uh, at one of my favorite spots and let optimistic Bobby's optimism rub off on all of us. <laughs> um so looking forward to it. Hopefully you can come down 7 o'clock on Thursday at 50 West Brewing Company. Again, we're giving away a free subscription or a renewal. So uh, come on down and see if you can get close, even in the vicinity of Jay's sadistic trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It won't be that bad. 
All right. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Maybe you will take it easy. Maybe somebody will get it right on the head. Uh, and then we, it, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I was going to start making promises if someone got it on the head that we'd do some sort of growler, but I'm just not, I'm not going to go there. I'm already going to be giving out growlers and free subs. Got to take it easy. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to that podcast growling. We will hopefully see you Thursday. If not, you'll hear from us uh, when this thing posts on Friday. So have a good one and we'll talk to you later.